Welcome to the Refuge Weekly Podcast. We are a church in and for the city of Orange in Southern California. The heart of Refuge OC is to introduce and reintroduce people to a clearer vision of God. To learn more about us and how you can get involved, please visit us at refugeoc.com. And now, here is our latest message. We are, uh, we want to jump into some scripture this morning, so I want you to grab your Bible. Make sure you got a Bible with you. We're turning to a passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 13. So many of you have been kind of writing in, giving us lots of messages like, when are you going to talk about the 13th chapter of 2 Corinthians? And so today is your day. We want to make sure that you get hit. I'm just kidding. That's a joke. Um, There's no map. Uh, This is a part of passage of scripture where Paul is in the business of writing letters to his people. And so we want you to jump in and join with us. So again, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, we are looking at the last few verses as this letter ends. If we, got, if we mentioned it before, I want to do it again. If you have kids in your household, don't worry. We have resources for you. If you go to refugeoc.com forward slash church at home, the opportunity for you there will be to be able to download kind of age-specific and age-generated uh, videos and curriculum that's available to you. It is much like the curriculum that we use when we are here in this building, in this location, and what we have been doing for the past few years as a church. So you'll be able to pick up with your kids. They'll be able to grab an iPad, grab a computer screen, grab their Chromebook, whatever they want, and they'll be able to watch their videos for today. But if you've got a Bible, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 13, and the last few verses, I want to read with you, and then I want to make some comments and just some thoughts for this day, as it's a challenging piece of scripture for me, but it's also a challenging piece of scripture for all of us, because if we do, if we do Bible reading right, if I can make this phrase, is that we want to make sure we understand what the original author's intent was for his or her community, but we also want to make sure that we understand how is it that God speaks to us through this passage. So I don't want to first just go to application and say, hey, what, what does this mean for me? I do want to make sure that I also understand what does this mean for the people that, in this case, Paul was writing to. And 2 Corinthians doesn't get read all that much. We read 1 Corinthians a lot. And scholars would say there's a lot of evidence out there that Paul actually wrote many times to his friends in the city of Corinth, which is a real city. You can even go visit it today. You'll see some ruins from the past, but you'll also see how it's a lively, thriving city to this day. But as he's writing to his people in Corinth, he does want to instruct them and kind of give them some things. And it's an interesting passage that we come to. Just before I read this, if I can get the setting right, he's actually just been spending the previous 12 plus chapters, for lack of a better term, kind of slapping them over the head. Because they haven't been acting right. They haven't been doing church right. They haven't been, they haven't been being the, the body of Christ right. And so we come to his words at the end of this letter, and it's confusing because they're a little bit cheery and nice and good, almost as if he's writing his final salutation in this letter and wants to give a positive send-off. But he has spent the majority of this letter and the first letter kind of correcting them. And scholars would say there's multiple, there's evidence out there that he has written multiple times to these people in Corinth, and this is one other opportunity he has to correct their actions and their behaviors. So we jump into this. With that as the backdrop, and here is what the Apostle Paul is saying to his friends in Corinth. It says, finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Strive for full restoration. Encourage one another. 
be of one mind, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All God's people here send their greetings. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And at first watch, first look, first glance at this, much like I did this past week. I've read this passage before, but knowing that it came up on our lectionary calendar and that this was the, one of the options for us, I knew that this was the passage that I wanted to preach to you today because it has everything going on that we are experiencing as people in America. Because not only is it talking about this idea of peace, and there's not a person amongst us who, who, would, who would admit, yeah, we're not, we're doing fine Actually, we're not doing fine. Things aren't fine. It's not peaceful. But then there's this also that like quick little throwaway phrase that so many people everywhere for generations have had fun with. This idea that Paul would say, greet one another with a holy kiss. And I got to admit, back in high school, this was my verse. You're like, yes, this is it. Every time that I want to come across that certain individual, I'm like, hey, aren't we supposed to do the Christian thing? We read in the Bible. It's supposed to be a holy kiss. Come on. And then never getting anywhere, you're wondering, okay, what is Paul talking about? And he's not talking about that romantic kiss that every high school guy would love to have. He's actually talking about how is it that you greet one another? And so different translators will translate it differently. You even get a guy like Eugene Peterson who translated the Bible into a paraphrased version called The Message, which is really fun to read. He just uses the phrase, holy embraces abound, because he's recognizing that not everybody in every culture kisses. My wife comes from a culture where she is half Chinese, but her half Chinese um, background actually grew up, her, her mom, who's full Chinese, grew up in Tahiti, which is a French colony. And if you've been around French people for any amount of time, when you greet them, they will greet you with a kiss, one on the right side, one on the left. And actually, what I've been told is you're not actually kissing any particular skin. You actually are kissing the air. And so that's how it works. And so in my mind, that's kind of what the Apostle Paul is talking about. As he's encouraging these people, would you have the audacity to greet one another with this holy kiss, this greeting? Which I'm like, this is perfect because this is coronavirus all over it. How is it the Apostle Paul could talk about America to today in his passage here? The unrest and the, the lack of peace that we're experiencing. But then he's also talking about this idea of kissing. And so many people are like, hey, 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 you can't kiss me until you have that face mask on, okay? You can kiss me, but do it from six feet away. And you're like, how's that work? So the Apostle Paul is so awesome right now because he's dealing with America and he's dealing with coronavirus in just four simple verses. And I think it's pretty rad. But let's walk through this, if you'll let me. Look at it again. If you have it in front of you, you've got your Bible open, you've got your Bible app on your phone or your tablet or your computer. There might even be words on the screen that you can follow along with me. But let's take verse 11 one more time. Finally, brothers and sisters, he's including everybody that he's writing to in that city of Corinth. And he gives them five commands. I thought it was four this week when I was talking to some other pastors about this passage. And we're like, oh yeah, he's given four instructions. But actually there's five. And the first one is one that you can really quickly glance over. It's this idea of rejoice. Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Why is it that Paul is asking them to rejoice? Because Paul can't help but get the message of Jesus out. 
the good news of Jesus out into the world. And so this is a cause and a reason to constantly rejoice. There's an old song out there that says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. That's the essence of what Paul is getting at when he's telling these, these, uh, these believers in Corinth, I want you to just remember the business that we have as Christians. It's to rejoice. We're not to just look forlorn or to wear sackcloth and ashes. We get to rejoice on a regular basis because of what Jesus has done. We are weeks from when Easter happened as we celebrate it on an annual cycle. Last week was Pentecost Sunday where we talked about the power of the Holy Spirit. Today is Trinity Sunday where we, we have the idea and we celebrate the Trinity, the aspect of God as God Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so we have reason to rejoice because of the ways that God is constantly leading his people. So you got it? Number one, rejoice. Number two, he says strive for full restoration. Hmm. Strive for full restoration. That's number two. Number three, encourage one another. Number four, be of one mind. And number five, live in peace. Before we quickly take that to our world today, you're like, the Apostle Paul is speaking to us in America. But he's first off speaking to those people in Corinth. What were they going through? And like I told you earlier, he's basically been spending this entire letter slapping them over the head and saying, would you quit acting the way that you're acting? Because this is a group of people that he started this church years prior on one of his missionary adventures. And he comes to Corinth, begins the outpost for the kingdom, this little church gathering of people who say, we're no longer committed to Caesar as Lord, we're committed to Jesus as Lord. And when he does that, he hopes that they will continue to grow. But like all of us know, that sometimes when groups get together without good, strong leadership, they begin to fester. And so they had divisions amongst them. There were some real deep-seated issues of sin. If you read through both letters to the Corinthians, first and second, you'll recognize that they had some, they had some funky issues going on. There were some incestual things going on. There was some sin between a son and his mother-in-law and all kinds of craziness thereat. And Paul is again just saying, once again, just get along. Would you please be of one mind? Would you encourage one another? Would you live in peace? Because he's recognizing that the people of Corinth are doing everything but that. They're not living in peace. They're not encouraging one another. And they're definitely not being of one mind. So this idea of full restoration, though, is this heartbeat that Paul talks about all over the place. This idea of reconciliation and restoration, which is something that we so desperately want. But it's interesting that our actions and our words so often take us away from that place. Because we're more interested in being right online. We're more interested in how can I slam you down than this concept of restoration and reconciliation. And everybody's weighing in on this. And some are very voice, uh, uh, vociferous online. They are very boisterous. And it's a hard topic that we, keep, we seem to be dealing with right now. As I posted about, and even as I made comments last week, the racial divide and racism in our country is not a 2020 thing. It has been something that has been happening for hundreds of years. 
and we still are not better. We still are a country that is not fully restored. We are not of one mind. We have not found ways to be kind to one another and to live in peace. And everyone would love to weigh in on why that issue is it. But it ultimately goes down to what it is that Paul was experiencing with his friends in Corinth and other parts of the Roman Empire as he goes around, starts new churches, and says, the way of the kingdom is different than the way of the world. And I want to put that out there for you and for me to consider, that the way of the kingdom looks different than the way of the world. And kingdom values implore us to act, implore us to love well. They implore us to see things differently and not just to buy into the narrative that is being told to us from whether it's a media outlet or a political agenda. And this is hard to take for Christians in America right now. But our compelling action when we consider the words of the Apostle Paul is this idea of being of one mind and to love and to encourage and to live in peace. Those are hard action words. We can't just do that and be like, yeah, I'm cool with how you live. We must do that in the ways that we value life. We value the lives of people that look like us, and we also value the lives of people that don't look like us. That seems to be a kingdom ideal that Paul is, is constantly purporting and getting out there. But he doesn't just stop at giving you five instructions or giving me five instructions or the church in Corinth five instructions, he takes it a little bit, a step further. After he does the five imperatives, he gives them this word, and the God of love and peace will be with you. One of the scholars I was reading about this passage this week reminded us that this statement alone, that the God of peace and love will be with you, is actually a call to remembrance of what God has been in the business of doing all along. That when he sent his son, and we remember the Christmas stories that we tell at Advent time, when Jesus comes to earth, he is known as Emmanuel. And if, if you've been in church for any amount of time, my guess is that you've probably sung a song with that word in it, especially at Christmas. But you probably have been around people at times that have said, well, what does Emmanuel mean? Emmanuel means God with us. So God is not in the, he's not like other gods out there. He's not distant and aloof. He's actually with his people. This is why he sends his son. This is why the apostle Paul wants to go all around the known world and say, this God is worth following because he's different than all the other ones that we've talked about or heard about because he's in the business of being with his people and the God of love and peace will be with you. Because it's only the God of love and peace that can help drive us in to this ideal that Paul is actually putting out there. The line that he's drawing in the sand that, hey, if you want to be kingdom people, this is what it looks like. It looks like rejoicing. It looks like striving for full restoration, even in those relationships in your life right now that aren't restored. And that's not just for you. That's also for me. That's also for the world around us. We know full well that there's not restoration. We need to encourage one another. We're quick to discourage. We're quick to tear down. We're quick to put someone to the side and say you're not worth it. And Paul yet again is saying, let us be the people who encourage. Let us be of one mind. Let us live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Because that's what God does. He's with his people. He's with his people in the worst of situations. He's with his people when they are 
being harassed. He's with his people when they are being abused. He's with his people when there is injustice. He is with those people. He is with you and with me in the moments of our lives when we wonder, have you forgotten God? Are you sleeping on the job? But no, the withness of God, the Emmanuelness of God is compelling us to understand that his kingdom is bursting forth and we can't help but see what he's doing. But you take it to the next verse, verse 12. Greet one another with a holy kiss. We've talked about this one already, right? This is an issue of embracing those near you. Obviously, there are coronavirus realities. You may not want to get out there and do the greet with a holy kiss thing. But you want to embrace people. And there's body language that is involved. And you can't embrace or you can't give positive body language when there's an issue between you and your brother, between you and your sister, between you and your neighbor, between you and a loved one, between you and a coworker. If there's issues, the body language so often speaks of it before we even say a word. How is it that we live in restoration to be able to embrace people like Eugene Peter would, Peterson would say, forget the kisses thing. Can you embrace someone? Can you actually do that? Verse 13, all God's people here send their greetings. Paul is telling us that where he's writing from, the people he's with want to say hi to the people in Corinth, much like you would do on a FaceTime call. If there's anybody around you, you'd be like, hey, say hi. Say hi to grandma. Say hi to grandpa. Say hi to the aunt, right? This is what Paul's doing. Hey, all the people here, he's in Macedonia. Most scholars would say that he's writing in Macedonia. And he even uses that image from time to time because he's trying to even use this. And this happens in classrooms to this day. He's trying to say like, hey, the Macedonians are really good people like Corinth. Why don't you act like them? And he says this in previous chapters. He's trying to tell them like, hey, could you be like the people in Macedonia? Because they, right now, seem to be getting it right. And you and Corinth aren't. So let's let's remember who it is that that Paul is speaking with when he's sending his greeting. And finally, verse 14. This is it. This is one of the most famous passages of Scripture that most people would say, I've heard that before, but they could not look it up. And it is right here in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. What does that mean? Unlike any of his other letters, Paul is ending with a Trinitarian reality. That God is Father, he is Son, and he is Holy Spirit. He doesn't do this in other letters. Most of the time, he just invokes the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. But today, in this letter... He is writing to his friends in Corinth and saying, may the grace of Jesus Christ, may the love of God, and may the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. He's about 100 years ahead of the curve before early church leaders would even have a concept and even dare to write down this ideal of the Trinity. But Paul is giving it to us. And he's reminding us this is how it actually is. As God's kingdom continues to advance, as we grow in our understanding of how God works, we must come in contact with Jesus who is filled with grace, with God who is filled with love, and the Holy Spirit is the one who brings fellowship. It reminds me of a story with a friend last week. She has a tattoo on her arm that says grace right about here. And she came across a friend, family member, that said, why do you have that? And the story was, well, because I follow Jesus and I got nothing but the grace of God in my life. I, I would not even be here if it wasn't for the grace. And I need this reminder on a daily basis and so much so that she even put it right here on her arm. 
because she wants to be caught on a daily basis with the grace of Jesus Christ. Because in the business of the kingdom, Jesus leads with grace. But there's also a sense of how God loves his people. He's not going to leave them hanging. He's not leaving the people in Corinth hanging. Not the people in Macedonia with Paul. And he's definitely not leaving the people in 2020. In Orange, Orange County, California, United States, in this world. He's not leaving them hanging. Because God is in the business of loving his people in the ways that he knows how to do it best. And then finally, this concept of the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. The fellowship of the Holy Spirit. It's as if the Holy Spirit, the one we talked about last week for Pentecost Sunday, this Holy Spirit that compels us to act with love towards our neighbor, the one that compels us to act with this idea of fellowship is the one who actually resembles and and, and gives us the idea, the model of love and fellowship for the people around us. Because it's only by the power of the Holy Spirit sometimes that I can love my neighbor. Because there are moments when you have people and I have people in my life that we are so frustrated with that I need God's power, I need the Holy Spirit's power to be able to love them well. So what does this look like for you and for me? I told you earlier and I hope that you might have heard me. I know that we were experiencing some things, but I said that this is a trial day for us here at Refuge. We're trying some new equipment out. I'm wearing new shoes. I haven't worn shoes to church in 12 weeks because we've been doing church at home, and I, I've been wearing nothing. Because I've, I've been wearing, just like, you know, I got my shorts and my shirt on. We've done church, but I haven't worn, worn shoes. But today I'm wearing shoes. So things look different today. And we're getting ready for this new normal and this return to life. But I was struck Thursday morning. I gathered with a group of pastors around the circle in orange right by the fountain. And one of the pastors in town, a guy named Danny Kurame, who pastors the bridge, who's been so kind to refuge over the years. They at times gave us a place to meet when we didn't have one two Christmases ago. They have given us an opportunity to partner with them in the ways that we love this city. And Danny showed up at our meeting, and he challenged the pastors in that crowd. And he said, I sense, I see this vision as if the church is being held by its ankles, and we are being shaken right now. And like loose things are like coming out of our pockets, and they're falling to the ground. And the temptation, like people, is to just pick up the things and return to how life was. But as we get ready to to engage this new normal into our future, we know full well that it's going to look different than our past. And the temptation for us as Christian leaders and church people is to say, can't we just go back to the way things were? And the image that, that Danny gave that day is like, no, no, no. When we are shaken right now, we are being shaken loose from the things that bound us to the ways of the past. Let us consider what it is that God is doing as he leads us into his future. Because we want to be a people that exist to proclaim the grace of Jesus, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. When we consider this Trinitarian aspect of the kingdom, we know full well that we can't go anywhere without Jesus' grace, without God's love, and without the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. This week we have set up new equipment. We're using it today. You are beneficiaries of this new equipment in this room. And in a couple of weeks when we welcome you back in, it's still going to be like, what does this look like? What does this mean? On Friday afternoon, our team had done its best. Pastor Sean and I were the only ones in the building. We're getting ready to leave, literally right around 3 o'clock in the afternoon. I'm in the back at the computer. We're setting some things up and getting ready to get out of here. 
when someone bangs on the doors on the outside of the front doors of our church. And if you've been to this building, you know that the front doors face uh, Glacelle, this major street in our city. But we have them locked in a way because those doors don't get used that much. But someone's banging on the doors. So I walk out there. I'm like, hey, if you walk to the side, I can see you. And at this door over here on the side of our, our sanctuary, he comes to the door. And I could tell that something was up. And I could tell that he had had some tough days. He's like, do you have any water and do you have any bread? Which is an interesting phrase in the ways to ask that question. And I'm like, sure, I got water. Let's walk to my car. I actually had three pallets of water. And my temptation was like, hey, can I just give it to you all? And he just asked for two bottles. And he said, do you have any bread? Which I know is like code for, do you have any food? And the funny thing is, is we have... We had had food from serving our team lunch that day, so we had extra food. And I brought him inside, and I said, can I get you some food? He sucked the water down, chomped at the food, needed a place of rest, but something was going on. And so as we interacted with him, we're wondering what's happening. Is this person, is he a drug addict? Is he on alcohol? Is he homeless? And as the story unfolds, it seems to be all three of those things. This person had come into our building. We just happen to be here. We haven't been here most days because we've been doing church at home. But we welcomed him in, talked to him. After he had been fed, he kind of took a rest. He wanted to wash his hands, wash his feet, so we helped figure that part out. And then he wanted to leave. And so we kind of said goodbye. And he said, what can we do? And I tried to figure out where could we send him. We don't have a place to house him here, but is there a place that he could go? And there wasn't an easy answer to that one. So he just left, walked down the street, Within 10 minutes, he comes back. And he's like, could you guys call the cops? And now our, our, <laughs> our antenna are up. We're like, what, what do you mean? He's like, I've done bad things. And I'm the kind of guy, I'm like, we've all done bad things, right? He's like, no, 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 I've done bad things. And I, I just, I want to be arrested. And I want to go spend the night in a prison cell. And we're like, really? And so actually Pastor Sean reached out to the Orange PD trying to figure out, is that the right course of action? I said, hey, is there anybody else that you could call? He doesn't have a wallet, doesn't have a phone. And he says, the only number that I remember is my dad's. I said, all right, let's call that. So we put it in my phone. We call on speakerphone. I've never had this moment happen. Like literally his dad picks up the phone. And the guy who was in our building said something, and his dad instantly knew it was him. It's not a number he recognizes. And he wants to find his son. You could hear the desperation in his dad's voice. Where are you? Can we come? And so in a matter of hours, this young man who had kind of just found a place to rest in our building was re re reunited, reconnected with his family. It cost us something, pretty small cost, a couple of bottles of water, some extra food that we had, some time because we were going to head home. Our afternoon and evening got changed because of this moment with this man and waiting for his family to drive from an hour away to get there. But he had left, he had run away, and his family had been searching. And I, walked to, I went home that night frustrated because my day had been captivated differently. But I knew this is the heart of the gospel. If we get anything right, may we be in the business of reconciliation and restoration. 
May we be of one mind. May we encourage one another. May we live in peace so that the God of peace and love will be with us. Because right now, today, on this day, we need to be bound by the grace of Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. And it looks like when a person comes home. It's not unlike the image that we get in Luke 15. When the father sees his son running from a long way off, he runs to him. And he welcomes him back. So refuge for us right now, we want to be a place that people can come and experience the grace of Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. And it looks like that in tangible ways. Because we know that there are, there are those of us in our world and in our relationships that are not restored. We have not been reconciled, and we need to be. We, have re- we recognize that our world and our country right now is not at peace. And may we be image bearers of peace more than anything else. May we not fall into the trap of believing what we're told, but sensing that wells up within us that when there has been injustice, may we be fighting for justice. If you were to flip a page after 2 Corinthians, you get to Galatians, which is where Paul proclaims that there is no longer Jew or Gentile. There's no longer slave or free. There's no longer male or female. There is nothing that keeps you away from the grace of Jesus, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. So may we be peace bearers this week in a country that needs it desperately. So I want to pray, and we're going to sing one more song before we end our day today. God, thank you for these words from Paul from a couple of millennium ago. They are challenging to this day, knowing full well of how the people in Corinth would have received them, but for us in 2020, we receive them as well because they are challenging to our core. We want to know how it is that we can encourage and to embrace people around us. We want to do it in safe ways in the midst of coronavirus, but we also want to do it in real ways, in tangible ways, for those who are hurting, for those who aren't being heard for those who aren't feeling as if justice comes their way may we be people who tell a different story may we be the kinds of people who get the story of the kingdom right that at your table you do not have a place for people that don't look like one another you actually invite all of us to your table because your table is bound by the grace of jesus christ the love that comes from you god and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. May that propel us to make the kingdom known this week in powerful ways. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us this week. We believe in community and would love to connect with you. If you have any questions or would like to speak to a pastor, feel free to reach out to us on Instagram at refugechurchoc. We hope to see you again soon.